Welcome to Talking Business Now. I'm your host, Kelly Scanlon. Thank you for joining us. As a college student, Connor Hazelrig just wanted to provide an easier way for people in developing countries to charge their cell phones. These residents often depend on their mobile devices for food, medical needs, and digital currency transactions. Her desire to make a difference led Connor to create the Sunshine Box, a suitcase-sized device that can charge 10 mobile phones at a time using solar power. Before she knew it, Connor had a business on her hands, 1773 Innovation Co., which represents the coordinates of Port-au-Prince in Haiti. Connor joins us on this episode of Talking Business Now to share her mission to provide solar power, create jobs, and provide a payment platform in these developing areas around the globe. Stay tuned to hear more about Connor's entrepreneurial story and the difference she's making in dozens of countries around the world and how the Sunshine Box also has applications for disaster sites and even tailgating events. Stay tuned. by talking about what the Sunshine Box is. D- describe it for us, and more importantly, what's its purpose? Yeah, so the Sunshine Box um, is a solar-powered cell phone charger. Um, so its sole purpose is to provide charge to cell phones in countries where people have this wide energy gap of depending upon mobile technologies like cell phones, but not having the basic infrastructure like electricity to charge their phones. Uh, so to visualize what this box looks like, it's about the size of a small suitcase. Um, it's very robust and durable, and it's got 10 charging ports around the outside. Um, so one of the biggest design emphasis that we tried to do was understand how to serve a community. There's tons of individual cell phone chargers for one person, but how do we serve a community of people? And so that really led us down this discussion of how many charging ports does there need to be, and we decided on 10. Um, And then by focusing on a community effort, it allows one person, which we call an agent, to operate the box as their full income. So they're able to take this portable box and go from village to village selling electricity through those ports. What a wonderful idea. So many people in these countries depend on their cell phones. I remember uh, several years back listening to a guy from Motorola talking about how, uh, you know, when doctors come into these villages, the, they, ha- they use the cell phones to help them, to help educate about their inoculations and the next, you know, to keep track of the next time they'll be in the village and to keep track of their medications if they need them. And so all of this, so so many things, life and death kinds of activities are funneled through, controlled by their access to the cell phone. And yet, as you said, in so many instances, they lack the energy to keep them uh, on. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think uh, if I recall this correct, in 2017, the World Bank reported that Haiti, for example, had almost 80% of the population that had a cell phone and 12% that had access to a reliable electricity. What inspired you to come up with the Sunshine Box? 
So I was a sophomore in college, and a friend of mine had returned from Haiti. Uh, I have an undergraduate in math and physics, and so I was in the process of getting those degrees in school, and a friend came back and said, everyone has a cell phone, and no one has electricity. How is that possible, and why is there not a solution? And so the left part of my brain started kicking in in high gear, and I said, well, why don't I create just very simple as a summer project. I'm doing an internship. And so I went to the CEO of the manufacturing company I was doing an internship at and kind of proposed this idea, and he was full in. He said, I'll donate whatever time, money, and people you need to, to do this. Uh, and so we came up and, and built the Sunshine Bus in a matter of three days. Wow. Uh, and then from that moment, I started applying for grants and business competitions to start to bootstrap the fundraising and capital needed to this more into a school project. You know, I've got this mm -hmm. product, but what can I take this and do more with it? I found I have a passion for doing this and solving these problems. And so that led into a year's worth of performance testing on the box. You know, how can we run off of it? How long can it go in the sun? Is it waterproof? Getting UL certifications. And it, you know, before I knew it, it turned into a business. So you really did have to do all of your R&D. Basically, uh, the where you were doing the internship, they were kind enough to, it sounds like, allow you to build the prototype. But then you had to scale it, and you also had to test it to make sure that it, you know, you go taking it out there and, and uh, telling people that this is going to do all these things for you. And so you had to make sure that it really was going to do that. So that, that took you a year. How did you get the funding for that? Um, I, like I said, I was able to apply for different grants and business competitions. Um, and I think I probably won those competitions just based on idea and not necessarily the presentation of it. Uh, being a math and physics major, uh, my presentation skills probably weren't up to the level of most business students. Uh, but I was able to convince enough judges to help me get through competitions and get enough capital raised uh, to do that. And then doing it as a part of being a student at William Jewell College, I had access through the physics department to many different resources uh, for testing electrical components and all that different stuff. I seem to recall that you had a crowdfunding campaign. So we've done a couple crowdfunding campaigns uh, for specific needs. So uh, back when the Hurricane Maria hit Puerto Rico, we had a crowdfunding campaign hosted by a nonprofit out of New York to raise money to send boxes to Puerto Rico to help fund that need or help fill that need. Um, and so I haven't done any crowdfunding campaigns to actually run um, development and research on the Sunshine Box, but I've done it to help move boxes into places of high need. You also just mentioned Hurricane Maria. So you have found applications for them as well in places where it might be a developed country. However, because of a natural disaster or uh, whatever kind of disaster, there there is an energy gap. So tell us a little bit about the applications in disaster relief. Yeah, you know, you talk about this dependency on the cell phone, um, and some of the things that we don't realize because we take it for granted here in the Western world and in a more developed country is the access to money. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people in developing nations don't have access to even acquire a bank account in a brick-and-mortar store. Um, and so their only ability to have money securely uh, in their pockets is via a cell phone, and which means that's how you pay people and get paid if you sell groceries. And so when that phone dies, even if you're in a place like the Bahamas or Puerto Rico, if that's the main mode of sending money, you have to have that to continually 
be a provider uh, in your family and your economy. And so when places like Puerto Rico and the Bahamas get hit by these hurricanes, you know, you might lose everything except your cell phone. I mean, just like us, it's always in a pocket. Mm -hmm. And so if I'm safe, my phone's safe. And so you'll have thousands and thousands of people at these FEMA locations, at these arenas that are gathering. And one of the top things that nonprofits are looking for are generators and phone chargers. Because you, you see these campaigns on Facebook where people are checking in saying that I'm safe. And you see lists of names of family members that people can't get a hold of. Well, more than likely, it's because either the phone's dead, the cell phone towers are down, but they have their cell phones. So if they can get to a place where there is cell phone coverage and power, they'll be able to call those family members. But most people don't think about powering the cell phones. I'm curious about the... 10 charging ports on each sunshine box. Why is 10 the magic number? Why not 50? Why not 75? What What is magic about 10? Yeah, so we found a, a pretty good balance about 10 when we were doing the research in developing countries. As we were taking them around from village to village, there would be a bunch of people that would come and congregate around the box, but we wouldn't have more than 15 phones to charge at one time. Mm. And so I wouldn't want to, as an engineer on this, I wouldn't want to put 15 ports on the box that will then utilize a little bit of energy over time when 10 suffices. Um, I want to store that energy as much as I can in the battery and not have any leakage. Um, And yes, there's tricks and bells and whistles that we can add to the box to prevent any sort of leakage in those ports. Um, But it's just like an outlet in your house. If you've got something not plugged into it, it's still pulling a little bit of electricity. Um, And I want to make sure that all the electricity that's harnessed in the sunshine box actually goes to charging cell phones. Um, Now, obviously, in these countries where hurricanes have just destroyed everything they have, the need's much higher than 10. Um, But the box wasn't designed for hurricane relief. Um, It was designed more or less for creating jobs in developing nations. But we found another market that these boxes can become very beneficial in. Uh, And so we just try to get as many boxes to those areas as possible and as quick as possible. Let's talk about the job creation aspect of this. I find that to be absolutely fascinating. How does that work? How how are they able to earn the living? Walk us through that. How do they get the box to begin with? Um, You know, that can't be uh, inexpensive to purchase to begin with. So how do they even get started? Yeah, so what we've done is we've worked with some nonprofits, and that's kind of how we started, is working with nonprofits who have built these amazing relationships and connections and networks in these countries, and we've worked with them to find and vet people that would be the best to be an agent. So instead of myself and other people I work with just going to these countries and finding someone on the side of the road looking for a job, we work with nonprofits who are able to give us uh, a third-party verification, Mm -hmm. essentially, on somebody. And then we set those agents up with sunshine boxes. Um, And we've gone through a a multitude of different ways to finance those boxes. Sometimes the nonprofits will pay for them directly, and then they'll do the implementation. And sometimes we've worked with nonprofits um, to implement them ourselves. Uh, And one of the ways we're able to do this is not too long ago, I was able to conceptualize a text message payment platform for the box. And we were seeing that the agents before this platform was developed were taking money in cash, which made them a high target for robbers. Yes. 
and we wanted to avoid any sort of negative impact the box could create in these economies because if it's creating any negative feedback, we are doing more harm than good, and that's not our mission. And so I created a text message system in the box that when you send money to the box via text message, it would automatically turn on a port for that box that you're standing at, route the money to a bank account, and then directly pay the agent for that transaction. Mm. That's incredible. And and so it's already morphed into basically uh, the next generation. They not only charge the cell phones, but they also uh, are a payment platform as well. Yes. And it's a secure way to make sure that the agent is taken care of. They can see how much they're making. Uh, and then it allows us to actually track the usage as well. You know, as we're working with these nonprofits, our biggest question that we get asked is, how do we measure the impact? Well, you measure the impact by the amount of wealth increase you're giving to these agents. Um, so as nonprofits implement these, these jobs, essentially, into their communities, you can look at how much wealth has been created for an individual. How quickly can they get out of poverty? Uh, but then on the energy side, how much energy is developed? How much through that solar panel? How much energy is being charged into cell phones? What are you providing to people on an energy basis? Talk to us about some of that impact. Uh, those are great things to measure. Can you give us some examples? Yeah, so we have 75 boxes around the world right now in 17 undeveloped countries. Uh, and this is everywhere from Haiti and the Dominican, like I've talked about, all the way over to Thailand, down to Peru. We've got five or six countries in Africa that have them. And it has just been phenomenal to hear and see some of the reactions uh, of people once they get these sunshine boxes. I had a pastor call me and tell me about... Um, he implemented some boxes at a church, and they weren't necessarily for job creation, um, but they were implemented at a church to, one, power a light on the outside of the church, and two, to charge cell phones. Uh, and we, we've started to see a huge influx of churches and schools wanting to put these into their establishments because then it means it brings people to those places. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I'm not saying that our organization is... Uh, faith-based. We're definitely faith-inspired. You know, we want to be good Samaritans, um, but we definitely want to promote people going to places of sanctuary and bettering themselves in whatever way they see that possible. And kids going to school so that they can charge their parents' cell phone, that's great for me. I would love to see more kids go to school and have that ability because of the sunshine boxes. And well, then it gives those churches and schools an income. What kind of implications does this have for education? You know, here in the States, you see uh, in classrooms today, every kid has a tablet practically, or, you know, in, in a lot of places, that's the case. And so are there similar applications in these countries where you're working to where, because they now uh, have the the capability to charge these devices, that, that they'll be able to use some of these devices as educational tools? Oh, absolutely. Uh, we've got one organization that solely builds schools in these countries, and they take these with them to every school because it attracts kids um, from families who may or may not be sending them to school on a regular basis because, like you mentioned earlier, they're having to walk to charge a cell phone. So as a parent, you have to work. Well, then that means you're going to send your child to go charge your cell phone. Mm -hmm. 
So now that kid's not in school. But if we put the boxes in the schools, now kids are going to school and it's, you know, a two for one. They're going to school, they're getting the educational stuff that they, they need and they deserve. And then they're also being able to fulfill charging the cell phone for their parents. Let's talk a bit about what happens to the box itself, the life of the box. You you may sell one to one of your not-for-profit partners or someone else. But does that box ever come back to you? Are you are you licensing it for a certain period of time? Or once you have built it, sold it, it's out there and it will, you know, you don't necessarily know where all it goes. Yeah. So when we build them, we sell them. Yes. Um, but when we establish them through the nonprofits, they'll, they'll buy the box and then we'll help them implement it with agents. Um, but that's theirs to keep. Uh, we definitely want to help support them. We definitely track the boxes from an operational standpoint um, as that text message platform is is operating that's creating a transaction history. There's um, inf- information in the cloud that's going back down to the box and communication. So we're definitely always there, um, but that is theirs. I, I do not have any need to bring them back to us here in the States. Mm-hmm. Uh, we definitely stay close by for support. Um, if something breaks, we're definitely willing to help out, come in, figure out what's going on, what might have caused something to happen. Um, but honestly, Kelly, and knock on wood, since 2014, we haven't had a single box have an issue. Tell us about the future. I mean, you've already found other applications for these. Uh, you know, you're creating jobs, you're providing much needed power, you are impacting uh, education, you are creating community. Uh, you're finding that it can power lights in some instances as well. So there's so many things that are coming of this that you did not anticipate in your original model. So tell us about the future. Where, where do you think it's headed? Yeah, so to kind of look at it from the different aspects that you laid out, um, disaster relief is a huge need, and I'm sure that's very much an empathetic chord right now with a lot of people. Um but partnering with big disaster relief organizations is huge for us because it's more about disaster preparation than it is about relief. If we have things in line and there's hundreds of thousands of boxes ready to be deployed, then the relief isn't as bad because people aren't suffering as much. So working with these disaster relief organizations to help get large partnerships in place is definitely a part of our near future. And we're working on a few deals right now with some organizations. Um, but the box is only $500. So mm. that's, that's what I charge. That's what I sell it for. It's very reasonable, especially when you think about the income that, that can be coming out of it. Talking about jobs or disaster relief, $500 is what a lot of us spend on rent a month. It, you know, it, it's not a whole lot of money when you're talking about an impact right. in people's lives. Um, and especially sustainability. When you put this into a developing nation as a job, you're creating a job, which means you're releasing that dependency. If you're giving somebody money every month, you've created the dependency. Well, the Sunshine Box helps to relieve that because they can create their own money, just like teaching someone to fish instead of giving them a fish. Exactly. Um, yeah. And so to scale this, we really think the best way to go is to take on some impact investors, really understanding um, who these people are and, and purposely picking the people who we best feel understand our purpose because that's what it's about. It's about making sure that as we scale this that we really keep the why at the heart and we feel like impact investing is the way to go. Um, and so that that's really kind of what our future looks like. I know it's really broad, um, 
but but we see this as being a huge opportunity um, right now to get the Sunshine Box out and continue its progress in creating a huge impact around the world. You've been talking about impact investors. Obviously, this podcast has a very large audience nationwide. If anyone is interested in asking you about the impact investment or knows somebody that they could refer you to or perhaps even needs boxes, how would they go about getting in touch with you? Uh, so I manage all of our different social platforms. Um, they can also contact me directly via LinkedIn, Facebook, um, really any of the social media outlets. I keep all of my profiles open to make sure that nobody has any problems getting a hold of me very open to to talking to people about the potential of impact investing in our company or how to get boxes to developing nations or disaster relief organizations. Okay. Well, all of Connor's information, rather than somebody needing to grab a pen right now while you're driving and and try to take all this down, whatever player you're listening, uh, just go to the show notes, and I always include all of the social media information for each of our guests. So just last questions. What about uh, when we talk about the future and other applications, do you see applications for this, say, even on construction sites or uh, things like yeah, that? Yeah, I, I do see a few more applications like that. You know, being here in Kansas City, we have a really predominant tailgate, tailgating group uh, for the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, and so I've taken them out to tailgate yes. before. Um, you know, it'd be pretty cool to have uh, the Hunt family or somebody sponsor a tailgate with sunshine boxes and, you know, pass those out to people in the parking lots. Uh, so there's definitely applications if you think about it. Uh, when the power goes out at your house, I know I've before charged my phone on the sunshine box when we're not sure the power's coming back. But that, you know, those aren't really long-term solutions. But, you know, thinking about we've rented them out to Boy Scout camps. Tailgating is very much where we get the best marketing uh, because we can talk about our mission. We can get to know people. We get to know what their connections are. But we also get the ability to allow people to interact with the Sunshine Box in ways that they might not see that they needed it before. Connor, you are providing such a wonderful tool, uh, such a great service, creating jobs. It's just kind of mind-boggling how this has all morphed from the, you know, the very original idea. Uh, so you're, you're very much on to something that is much needed, and, and I just appreciate people like you. Well, thank you, Kelly. I appreciate you having me on here and getting to share my story a little bit. It's always good to, to talk to you as well. And I'm your host, Kelly Scanlon. I appreciate you tuning in to this episode of Talking Business Now. If you'd like to suggest podcast guests or topics, or to subscribe to the Talking Business Now newsletter or podcast, please visit my website at interrobangsolutions.com. That's I-N-T-E-R-R-O-B-A-N-G solutions.com. Interrobangsolutions.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.